This month on the UMBC Observatory podcast, Jessica covers the scientific contributions of the Galileo space probe, Katie Ann keeps us up to date with the latest space news, and Roy tells us what to look for in the April sky. Hello, this is Jessica here with your monthly mission segment. This month we are discussing the Galileo orbiter which studied Jupiter and its respective moons for eight years. In its time there, it visited every major moon around Jupiter, as well as it discovered volcanoes on Io, discovered a magnetic field on Ganymede, and sent a probe into Jupiter's atmosphere to take greetings. Galileo provided us with new insights into Jupiter, which help us redefine our understanding of how the outer planets form. Galileo was launched on October 18, 1989 from Kennedy Space Center in Florida aboard the space shuttle Atlantis. It arrived at Jupiter on December 7, 1995 and immediately probed the atmosphere. Galileo completed 34 orbits of Jupiter, 7 orbits of Io, 8 orbits of Callisto, 8 orbits of Ganymede, 11 orbits of Europa, and 1 orbit of Amalthea before ending its mission on September 21, 2003 by flying into Jupiter's atmosphere and burning up. On board the Galileo orbiter was a host of instruments useful in analyzing Jupiter and its respective moon's atmospheres. These instruments included a solid-state imaging camera, a near-infrared mapping spectrometer, an ultraviolet spectrometer, a photopolarimeter, radiometer, magnetometer, an energetic particles detector, a plasma investigation, a plasma wave subsystem, a dust detector, and a heavy ion counter. The probe that Galileo carried that was released into Jupiter's atmosphere carried a host of instruments as well as including devices to measure temperature, pressure, and deceleration, atmospheric composition, clouds, particles, and light, and radio emissions from lightning and energetic particles in Jupiter's radiation belts. Galileo, as mentioned before, accomplished a lot scientifically and helped redefine everything we knew about Jupiter and the outer planets in general. The spacecraft was the first to fly past an asteroid, Gaspra, and the first to discover a moon of an asteroid, tiny dactyl, orbiting Ida. It provided the only direct observations of a comet colliding with a planet when it witnessed Shoemaker-Levy 9 impact Jupiter. The Galileo spacecraft logged quite a few other firsts during its 14-year mission to Jupiter. Among its discoveries, an intense radiation belt above Jupiter's cloud tops, helium in about the same concentration as the Sun, extensive and rapid resurfacing of the moon Io because of volcanism and magnetic field in Ganymede, Galileo data allowed the creation of the first detailed maps of Jupiter's major moons. It also gave scientists the most detailed look yet at the structure of the planet's magnetic field and radiation belts. Until Galileo, Jupiter had only briefly been looked at by flyby missions, not allowing scientists the appropriate amount of time to study the planet in depth. Galileo set down the groundwork for future missions such as Juno, which is currently orbiting Jupiter and studying its magnetic field and atmospheric properties in even more detail than Galileo did. Galileo represents an achievement in science and innovation, and it will continue to set the bar on what can be expected out of a planetary mission for years to come. Thank you for joining me. See you next month for another mission. Hello, everyone. My name is Katie Ann, and I will be talking about current events. To start, Let's catch up with what has been happening on the International Space Station. There might be a movie that will be filmed on the space station later this year in October. Because of this, some of the astronauts who are already on board can expect to have their stay extended for an additional six months while filming takes place. 
Right now, discussions are in place to negotiate who will be getting the seat and when the commercial crew will arrive at the space station. The commercial crew is scheduled to arrive on a future Dragon mission launched from SpaceX. Additionally, the crew members who will have to give up their seats on the Soyuz mission to return back to Earth will then be stationed on the International Space Station for an additional six months. However, when contacted about this, they all seemed very excited to have their missions extended and also to welcome new people aboard the station. If you want to learn more about this, you can check out the article that's been posted on our Facebook page to get more details. In a surprising diplomatic move, NASA has obtained permission from Congress to get some data about a Chinese Mars mission. The data will help avoid any kind of collision between missions launched from various space agencies around the world. Under normal circumstances, American scientists and engineers are not allowed to exchange information with Chinese ones in regards to space exploration and operations. Could this be a sign of change for the future? Who knows, but this is definitely a good start. If you've been on social media, then you've probably heard about SpaceX's newest rocket, and those tests haven't been going as planned. While it makes for an interesting sight, we can't help but think about the poor engineers and scientists who are watching another failed attempt at their mission. Have you seen anything interesting in the sky recently? Let us know on one of our social media pages on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. If you want to stay updated to current events in space, or just want to say hi, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at UMBC Observatory. My name is Roy, and I'm here to introduce the final segment of our April 2021 podcast with a description of the nighttime sky as seen from Baltimore. You can think of this as current events in the sky for the time between April 8th and May 5th, 2021. Now that we're past the vernal equinox and moving deeper and deeper into the season of spring, the sun will be setting farther and farther north of west and rising farther and farther north of east with each day into the season. Since the sun will still be culminating in the southern part of the sky, the sun must begin taking increasingly longer paths through the daytime sky until the summer solstice in June. This longer path, as well as the higher angle of the sun in the sky, are the main contributors to the warmer weather in the season of spring and into summer. As we know all too well in Maryland, the official change of the season doesn't immediately mean warmer weather. We'll have to give the sun a few more weeks of longer and more direct sunlight to really heat up the northern hemisphere. Starting to think about the nighttime sky now, since the path of the sun is higher in the daytime sky, means that the ecliptic, the path of the sun through the sky, is lower in the nighttime sky. Therefore, our zodiac constellations, as well as the path of the moon and the planets, will be lower in the nighttime sky, giving us a shorter window of opportunity to really see these planets and objects through the haze along the horizon. Beginning the month of April, you'll find the sun to be setting at around 8 p.m. EDT and rising just before 7 a.m. EDT. This gives us about 11 and a half hours of twilight in dark skies in Maryland. Toward the end of the month, the sun will set around 7.30 p.m. EDT and rise around 6 a.m. EDT, giving us only 10 and a half hours of twilight in dark skies as we get closer and closer to summer. However, for the month of April, Mars will still be visible just after sunset in the southwestern part of the sky. Jupiter and Saturn will be appearing in the early morning hours, but only visible through the early morning haze in the east. 
As the year progresses, Jupiter and Saturn will rise earlier and earlier in the morning sky and will eventually be visible at what I might consider more reasonable times in the late evening. In the southwestern sky, Mars will be joined with two other bright red objects, Betelgeuse in Orion and Aldebaran in Taurus. Both of these objects will be below Mars in the sky and set at around the same time as Mars in the west. Above Mars, you will see the bright star Capella in the constellation Auriga. This constellation will set about the same time as Mars and Orion as well. They'll both be too low in the sky to see clearly by about 11 p.m. After these bright objects set, we'll be left with Castor and Pollux as the heads of Gemini in the southwestern sky. Regulus, the brightest star in Leo the Lion, will also be near culmination in the southern part of the sky. Finally, Arcturus and Spica in Buodes and Virgo respectively will be in the southeastern sky approaching culmination. Later in the month of April, Vega, the brightest star in Lyra the Harp, will be visible in the east and will continue to rise earlier and earlier every day toward the summer. So we'll have more on Vega and its compatriots next month. If you're still fuzzy on how to find these objects in the sky, I'll recommend listening to our March episode where I draw an audible map between these stars. If you are able to find Vega in the constellation Lyra, a small meteor shower will begin on the 16th of April and end on the 25th, with a peak the night of the 22nd and the morning of the 23rd. These meteors will seem to be originating from the area of Lyra, hence the name, the Lyrids. This shower generally produces about two dozen meteors an hour, if you look straight up, but they might be too dim to see with the nearly full moon approaching on the 27th of the month. In the northern sky, Ursa Major with the Big Dipper are prominent and high in the sky. As the month goes on, it'll swap places with the dim stars in Draco the Dragon. These constellations, along with some others around the North Star in Ursa Minor, are circumpolar, so these stars never set fully below the horizon, but simply continue to dance around the North Star day and night. As always, the best time to look for these dim objects, or even the bright stars, are during the new moon phase, and in April, that will be on April the 12th, with the full moon phase about half a month later on April 27th. If you're looking for help finding these stars or shapes in the sky, please visit our show notes page at observatory.umbc.edu. Otherwise, thanks for listening to me connect the dots up there and look for our next podcast on May the 8th. If you've got any comments or questions or just want to let us know that you're listening, please feel free to send an email our way to observatory at umbc.edu. And that concludes this episode. To see our show notes with additional resources covering this episode's topics, go to observatory.umbc.edu and click on the podcast tab. If you have topic suggestions or feedback, email us at observatory at umbc.edu and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at UMBC Observatory. And be sure to check back on the first Wednesday of every month for a new episode.